right. Good stuff. Glad you guys are here. I'm glad to be here. Sorry, uh, Michelle and I weren't here for the Christmas weekend because we were up north, Pleasanton, California with Michelle's family. It was, we were very torn. wanted to be here with you guys, but at the same time, her, uh, this is actually the first year we spent with her family on Christmas Eve and Christmas morning. So it was kind of a big deal for us and had been... So anyways, it's hard when things don't uh, coordinate the way you want. You guys have a good uh, New Year's Eve? Good stuff. You guys are here, so that means it was a good one, I guess. But, uh, but uh, yeah, it was so funny. I told Michelle like last week, I was like, one of these days I want to go to New York City, celebrate New Year's Eve right down there at Times Square. But we didn't do that this year. Last night I showed a little video on my phone of the uh, Europe celebrating the New Year's, and then I went to bed. <laughs> Somebody said, like, did you guys do anything last night? I said, I got three kids, you know, we just went to bed. (laughs) Three little ones, we were like, we're out, we're sleeping. But uh, anyways, no, we had a great, we had a great uh, Christmas and a great week hanging out with the family and hanging out with the kids, so uh, turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, Philippians 1. Like I said earlier, we're starting the year right, start it in the Word, and uh, the Lord has a word for us this morning, just wants to strengthen and encourage us and speak to us, we're going to start the, there's just the next few weeks we're going to talk about getting unstuck and moving forward the lord wants to break us out of some ruts and some miry clay that maybe we've been stuck in and wants us to just uh press into what he has for us and so uh just today and the next couple of weeks the lord wants us to focus on that not necessarily because it's a new year not necessarily because it's uh uh you know like a nice little cliche thing to do but because it's what the Lord is saying. Amen? The Lord's been speaking to me uh, from Philippians chapter 1 for a while now, and I feel like the Lord has a word for us, and it's just very timely, and it just fit well with the schedule to be like, to think, hey, well, let's just start the year right off with what the Lord is saying uh, from Philippians chapter 1. So let's read in Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to read out of the New King James. I'm going to start in verse 19 and read to verse 26, chapter 1, 19 to 26. And then I'll share what the Lord is saying, and we'll kind of press into this today. So Lord, just uh, pray that you'd speak to us. Give us a word for today and for this year. Amen. All right, verse 19, uh, Paul says this, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. This letter of Philippians, Paul's writing this letter to a church in Philippi, and uh, he's writing from a prison in Rome. He's in 
prison in the capital city of Rome. He's waiting on tri- uh, to go on trial basically before the emperor. I mean, he's going to share the gospel to the major leaders of the Roman Empire. And it's pretty amazing what God did through Paul's imprisonment. Well, while he's in prison, he writes this letter to the Philippian church because this church, more than probably any other church, has been a support to him. In fact, we read from this letter, and I mentioned some of this when we were talking about our, uh, when we were in that financial series a couple months, or recently, uh, what was that called? Something about abundance, right? Jesus definitely bringing abundance to us. But I mentioned that this Philippian church was a partner in ministry uh, with Paul, right? And so Paul is writing them basically to say, hey, thanks for supporting us. In fact, oftentimes, um, uh, I, I often reference this book, and I often, uh, this book is often very like near to my heart when I think about pastoring. This, this letter actually is really, really an affectionate letter, probably the most personal letter that Paul writes to a church. And you really see Paul's desire and affection and, uh, and his heart for his, the people that he's pastored, right? He's plant, he planted this church. He loves this church. He's invested his life into this church. He's probably visited this church many times. And he, um, but not only that, is this church prays for him. This church has sent financial support and other types of support to him. And so he really feels connected to this church. And I, oftentimes when I read this letter, I feel that way towards you. I feel that affection. I feel that love. I remember actually feeling that way even when I was uh, 16 or 17 pastoring, uh, not really pastoring, but uh, being the, I was the president of a Christian club in my high school. And I felt like that affection for God's people. I felt that desire. I remember graduating uh, and having to leave. And I thought, well, I guess I can't stay. You know, I can't. I can't stay at the high school and keep loving these students, you know. It's kind of a forced uh, move, right? And, uh, but I felt like, oh, you know, I'm going to miss you guys. I preached out of Philippians like the last few uh, weeks in the Christian club. And I mean, oftentimes I read Philippians and I think like, man, that's how I feel, you know. And later on in the book, he talks about his desire to know Jesus. And even this phrase here, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. These phrases have always captured my heart like, Wow, that's, that's what I think. That's how I feel. So I, I love this letter because I really feel like it shows you the heart of Paul and it really is near to my own heart. And Paul is basically trying to tell them that, that like, well, he basically is saying, hey, like your support is causing the gospel to, to impact people right here, even while I'm in chains, even while I'm in prison. Um, he says it in verse 12 where he says, I want you to know that this has turned out for the furtherance of the gospel or the progress of the gospel, meaning that people are coming to Jesus, the church is becoming bold because even though he's in chains, he's preaching and so other p- Christians are being bold and sharing their faith. People are growing and so Paul's excited and it's kind of like as if, I mean, if I was on a missions trip and I was writing you a letter saying, hey, thanks for supporting me and you know, this is what's happening. He's giving the, the update, right? I mean, imagine if I was on a missions trip and I was in prison and you're like, should we support this guy? <laughs> you know? How come you're in prison? And he's explaining to them that they shouldn't be ashamed of him, but that the gospel is being advanced. They should be excited about this. And he's explaining some of his heart. For example, in verse 19, he says that he believes that because of their prayers and because of the power of the Spirit, he's going to be free soon. He's going to be delivered. He's not going to be killed or something like that. And he goes on, he explains to them his heart. He says, he says you know, I, I want to go and be with Jesus. You know, that's, that's my desire. I mean, it'd be, it'd be better for me to go and be with the Lord, right? Go to heaven, 
be with Jesus. But he says, in, 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 in my paraphrase, but I've got an assignment from God here. The Lord has called me to serve you. And it's more important for your sake that I remain here alive on earth. You know, uh, I remember in level four, level four we were talking about our authority, level four of our, our discipleship program. We were talking about our, our authority to raise the dead. Like that kind of stuff. And uh, just kind of build people's faith up. And somebody was like, well, man, if you died, wouldn't you be mad if somebody raised you from the dead? <clears throat> I thought it was a good question, you know? And, uh, and I said, you know, and honestly, when I, was, when I was a young Christian and I had a lot of emotional issues, I totally used heaven as an escape, you know? Oh, just let me go to heaven, you know? It was kind of like the way that I would pray. And I remember when I was like 18 or 19, the Lord told me, I was so extreme back then, I needed to be corrected extremely, you know? And I remember the Lord, like age 19, was like, you're not going to heaven. You're going to stay here, and you're going to get married, and you're going to do something for me. And I was like, okay. Um, But basically, I told the person, I said, actually, no, if I went to heaven and it was not God's will, I mean, hey, dude, if it's God's will, man, keep, nobody raise me, okay? But if, you know, but if, but honestly, I told this person, I said, I, I told the class that, that was in the discipleship thing, I said, man, no way. Man, I said, if, if, man, if, I, if it was not God's will and I just died because of some stupid accident or from the devil or something like that, I said, man, you better raise me from the dead. Because, and I said this because I have an assignment from God. I said, there's a reason I'm here on earth. I, I see it differently than I ever have before, that I have an assignment for the Lord. I mean, dude, I get to spend eternity in heaven. You know, I'm going to be with Jesus forever. And of course, that is our number one desire. I want to be with Jesus, but, I, but, but to grow in him, to become like him, to believe God's promises on earth when we can't see it, you know what I mean? To live for God and to shine as a light in darkness, to preach the gospel and to see people come to know him. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, man, if I stay here, That means fruit from my labor. That means more people coming to Jesus, more churches being planted. That means more people growing in the Lord. And and he's saying it's more needful, it's more important for me to stay here. And so he's, he's trying, like if you will, you're getting an insight into what makes Paul tick, if you will. That's what Philippians does. You're getting an insight that, man, this guy loves Jesus. He's passionate for the Lord. I mean, listen to that phrase. For to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I mean, this guy is on fire, right? He's saying, Jesus is my source. He's my life. He's my everything. He's the goal of my life. He's all. He's my motivation. He's he's the beginning. He's the end. He's all of it. I want Jesus. I want to know Jesus. He says that in Philippians 3. But but he says, but to and, and to die is gain, but he says to stay. It means that I'm going to let Jesus live his life through me and produce the fruit of Christ through me in other people's lives. And he says, that's more important. And so he says that, uh, it's funny that he says, that, what, what shall I choose? It's like, does he get to choose? <laughs> I don't know. But in, uh, in, in verse 25, he says, I'm being confident of this. I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. And the Lord actually been speaking to me personally from this verse, not necessarily about going to heaven, but been speaking to me personally from this verse a, a lot lately. And, and I'm not going to go into necessarily what he's been saying to me, but I want to say what I sense the Lord saying to us and to you specifically. That basically Paul's saying, I'm, I'm going to get out of prison. I'm going to come back. I'm going to visit you guys. But here's the reason. He says, I am confident that the Lord is calling me to remain, to stay here, to be committed to you. Why? He says, for your progress and joy of faith for your 
progress. See, there is progress to be made in the Christian life. There is progress. There is movement. There is growth that needs to happen and that can happen in the Christian life. And Paul is saying that I am called not just to get people saved, that's, that's important, but to help people to progress, to become more and more and more like Jesus, to, to grow in the Lord and grow deeper in intimacy with the Lord and to move forward into the things of the kingdom, not to stay the same, not to be stuck, not to just settle, camp out, like, you know, just maintain in the Christian life, but to grow and to break through obstacles and break through strongholds and to make progress. That's what he's saying. You could, you could, you could, um, ultimately this concept of progress really is referring to the, to the process of progressing, but also to the goal. Paul says it this way, one of my favorite verses, one of my, kind of like what defines my ministry is Paul says, I labor with the energy of Christ to present every person perfect in Christ. Basically that, 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 that we, like in, in pastoral ministry, it's, it's that I, I really believe that, that Jesus, I'm partnering with Jesus to prepare a bride for Jesus, to pre- prepare his people that we would look like him and reign with him and love him and to love like him. Amen? And that's what we're progressing towards. This word progress, you can imagine that it's, a, it's, it's the word, it literally means to, to move forward despite obstacles. It, it, it's the concept of like, of, of, you know, an army moving through a jungle with a machete, you know? Just breaking down obstacles, moving forward. It's the, it's the idea of a ship, you know, a sailboat, moving through the water, progressing despite the fact that the wind is coming directly at it. It's an amazing thing. Have you ever, do you know this, that you can actually have a, those of you who don't sail, you know, I, I'm not a sailing captain or anything, but do you know that with a sailboat, you can make your boat go into the wind? How, is that? How do you do that? You know what I'm saying? It's, it's called uh, uh, sailboat people. I don't know what you're supposed to call them. Sailors. Sailors. <laughs> yeah. I went to bed early, all right? So, sailors, do you, they, call it, they call it being in irons. Isn't that interesting? When the wind is coming at you and wind should be pushing you backwards, they do a thing called tacking, which actually using both the sail and using that big fin underneath the boat, they actually go at an angle and cause the wind that's coming at them to create what's called lift, right? The same thing that would cause like, uh, you know, in a different way, cause a plane to lift up. They actually cause the wind that's coming at them to pull them forward. That's hardcore, huh? That would give you an image of making progress despite obstacles. See, imagine that the Lord's heart is like a, the promised land, right? Imagine like God's heart, this vast territory, making progress as you going in and discovering new lands in the heart of God, going deeper into the knowledge of God, finding deeper, intimate things, right? The, the Holy Spirit is said to lead us into the deep things of God. That's a pretty cool phrase, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 2. Going into the deep things of God, taking territory in the heart of God, not like 
in a conquering sense. But finding and discovering, seeking the face of God. Show me your glory, we were crying out. That is that idea of pressing in to know the Lord more. Can you imagine his heart like territory, like treasure, and you're searching out his heart like hidden treasure. God, show me your glory, right? Or imagine your heart is like territory, and God is pressing into your heart and destroying obstacles that are hindering his reign and his rule in your heart, removing rebellion from your own heart, removing obstacles where you are stubborn or resistant to the will of God, lies and strongholds in your thinking or in your emotions, and God Jesus' kingdom is advancing. The Bible says of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. And he's increasing and he's progressing and he's taking territory in your heart so that there's no territory in your heart that's in rebellion. See what I'm saying? Imagine the, the, that uh, uh, you know, even our, our community is territory and the Lord wants to fill this community and fill the earth with his glory like the oceans fill the sea. Right? That's what the Lord wants. He wants to progress. He wants to break through obstacles that are in us. He wants us to press into his heart. And he wants us to go deeper into that intimate knowledge of God. He wants us to go grow more and more and more like Jesus. And we need that kind of vision. And we need that kind of, 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 of giving ourselves to this goal. Amen? And that's what the Lord is saying. The Lord is saying that we, he's calling us to to get free from those things that would keep us stuck in ruts, keep us stuck in miry clay, keep us stuck, keep us settled. And he wants us to move forward, take territory, right? He wants us to break down those obstacles, cut through those, those trees, if you will. Not like, you know, we don't want to deforest anything, but, you know, <laughs> cut down trees and just move forward. You know, I, I was... Uh, did I ever tell you the story? John, Dave, and I went camping. Maybe a couple of you I did. We went camping. I decided to take my son camping for a, a night, just see what would happen. It was a crazy adventure. And uh, went to Mount Baldy, made sure we were close, and it was probably a good idea. I decided, we'll go on a short hike. That's what we'll do. We'll go on a little hike. And that way, if he gets tired, I won't have to carry him too long, right? So I thought, we're going to go up this little hill, and we're going to get to this... Uh, little waterfall, and we'll have a good time. We'll play in the water. I made sure we had some snacks and some water, have his uh, teenage mutant ninja turtles so he could play with them, that kind of thing, right? And I thought, well, if he gets tired, I can carry him on my back. It's not a big deal. We climb up this hill. He's fine. He's full of energy. He's having lots of fun. We get to the waterfall. We spend about, oh, two seconds at the waterfall. <laughs> I turn around, and my son is about five feet up on this on this like hill, not, not, it's like a rock wall, but it's at, a, it's at an angle, so it's not like straight up. But my son, I turn around, and he's already climbing the rocks. I'm like, yeah, that's my son, man after my own heart, you know, uh, getting on the rocks, climbing the rocks. So obviously as a dad, you think, well, I could tell him to get down, that's not safe. Or I could climb up behind him, power him, you know? So I decided to empower him. <laughs> that's what Jesus would do. Okay, so... So I got behind him and I start climbing with him. He, I think I had, I have bare feet. Oh yeah, I had bare, I was in bare, I took my shoes off to get in the water. So I had bare feet, you know, rock falling off. I think one of the rocks fell on my foot at one point. I'm like, oh, I'll put on shoes, you know. <laughs> anyways, we climb up pretty high, actually. We climbed up to a good distance to a point where I was like, thinking to myself, can we get down? I'm not sure about this. Like, I'm a little concerned. Can I get my son down safely? And then he wants to go higher because he wanted to see the top of the waterfall. 
The problem is the top of the waterfall just is a lot higher, right? So we go higher, and there's all these pokey branches and stuff. I, you know, we got poked a lot. Had these like, uh, uh, what is that, splinters in our hands from these crazy thorny bushes. And we get to this one point where we're like, yay, we got to the top of the waterfall. Not really. And, you know, and we look over and he says, yay, we're there. And I think to myself, I could go down or we could go up, right? So I chose the wrong idea. No, I don't know. It, I chose, I'm not sure which one was the right idea. But anyways, I chose to go up. I said, well, there's got to be a path up. And so we start climbing the side of this mountain, literally, the side of this mountain, up and up and up and up and up. It was crazy, you know? And my son had a really good attitude. He got tired about two-thirds of the way up. We stopped, we played on the side of a mountain and uh, drank some water and ate some snacks. But then the last third, he just was, he was done, right? Good attitude, he didn't complain. If he complained, I was like, buddy, we can't do anything about it. We just got to keep going. Let's have a good attitude. It's great life lessons. But I was like, okay, well, we're just going to do it. So I ended up having to carry him up the side of a mountain with one arm and climb with the other arm. And I take a lot of breaks up this side of this mountain, mostly of like rocks or like dirt and things like that. At one point, I was looking at this big bush and over here is a cliff and over here is a cliff. So I told my son, we got to go through that bush. (laughs) I think that was the worst moment for him. I carried him through this bush, <laughs> and it was like poking him and hitting him. <laughs> it's okay, buddy. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. And uh, I, told him, I, was, I told him, buddy, I'm praying Jesus will keep, get us home. You know? Anyways, we finally get to like the top of where there's this, this path that's like six inches wide. You know? I'm like, oh, there's the path. That's real safe. I was actually more scared going down the path with him. I was like holding his hand and stuff. But I was really proud of him. But that's that image of progressing, right? Like, like man, I got, I got to go right through that bush. You know what I'm saying? I got to have to just, well, if I got to carry the dude, I'm going to have to carry the dude. You know, we can't, I'm not staying here on the mountain. The sun was going down. You know, I'm not going back down. <laughs> There's got to be a path here somewhere. I don't know where it is, but it's, gonna, it's, it's there somewhere. So I'm just going to pick him up and go for it. And that's that image of progressing, of moving forward, of breaking free. And yet so many people, we get stuck, don't we? We get stuck. And that's, that's the thing is, I wonder how many of us feel stuck somewhere? How many of us have gotten stuck in our Christian life in some sort of wrong way of thinking? How many of us have gotten stuck? I think every one of us at some point, every one of us in some area of our life, we get, we get stuck somewhere, kind of like in a miry clay of negative emotions maybe. We get stuck in the past, maybe some sin in our life. Maybe even, not even a habitual sin, maybe even just something you did a long time ago, nobody knows of, and you still feel shame about it. You still feel stuck there, and you don't feel like you can break free from that. You don't feel like you move forward. How many of us are stuck in our Christian life because of things like that? Think, thinking, a particular thought process, a pattern of thinking that just keeps you stuck Maybe a fear of failure, that every time you get to that point where you're going to do it, you're going to go for it, you're going to do that thing for God, and fear keeps you from going for it, keeps you from doing that. Or those negative emotions of like depression or self-pity, and you feel stuck in that emotion. You know, it's like the Israelites should have taken, what, a couple of months to get from Egypt to the Promised Land, and it took them like 40 years. Can you imagine, like, oh, I've seen that rock before, you know? 
could have sworn I saw that scorpion the other day, you know? Like, we've, we've been here before, I think. And how many of us feel like that? Like, why is it? Maybe it's been the, this last year you felt stuck in a particular issue. Maybe, there's, maybe it's been the last five years. Maybe for the last 20 years, you're like, I don't know why, but I can't get past this. I mean, many, for some people, it's that their relationship is still the same. Right, maybe a husband and a wife, and they still have the same conflict, the same unforgiveness, the same conflict, the same brokenness in the relationship, and there's no moving forward. That is not what should characterize the Christ follower, right? And that's what Paul is trying to say to the Corinthians, or I'm sorry, not the Corinthians, <clears throat> that would be another, that would be an unhealthy church. He's saying to this healthy church, he's saying that I want you to grow, and I am devoted and I'm committed to see you break free and to get progress in your life. He's saying, he's saying, are you stuck? Are you stuck in a particular attitude, particular area of unforgiveness? Are you stuck in a particular thought or lie or deception about God? Are you stuck in your relationship, stuck in relationship with God? Have you just kind of settled, camped out, like, yeah, this is a good spot to be with God, you know? Have you lost sight of that deeper intimacy with God, that vision for becoming more like Jesus? I remember like a dozen years ago when I was struggling in a lot of disillusionment in my life, I remember asking this question really sincerely, unhealthily, but still sincerely. Can you really grow as a Christian? Like, can you really expect to become like Jesus? Really? Like, really? Can you really be changed deep on the inside? Deep. Like, so that your character, so that your emotional chemistry is completely different than what it used to be because you're like Jesus? Or is Christianity just a veneer? It's just a veneer. Is it just like you kind of look a little different? You just, you just we, don't, we don't like smoke and drink and like go with people who do, what is that phrase, you know that? Like we don't, we don't do that stuff. Is it just outward following rules and doing nice things? Is, is that it? Or can you really love your enemy? You know, somebody, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. We turn the other cheek and we're like, ah, but I wish it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know what I would do if, if I could, I would, uh, you know? Right, like that's turning the other cheek. You know what I'm saying? Like on the outside, we, yeah, I love you, brother. Yeah, I forgive you. And then on the inside, you're like, I'm going to kill him, you know? <laughs> but can we really be different on the inside? Holy, like God is holy. Yeah, it sounds like, of course, because that's what the Bible says, you know, that kind of thing. But really, really, you know what I'm saying? Or is Christianity just a veneer? I remember asking that question, and I'm asking the question today. Really? Can you really become like Jesus? Because the way that most people talk betrays what they really think. Well, but you know how they were raised. Well, but you know, like, it, that's just my personality. Well, it's just the way that I think. Just what, you know, well, it's just, you know, it, we betray what we really think, don't we? By, by thinking that it, it's just, well, you know, I've got this chemical imbalance. Well, you know, I just got this, this thing that I deal with. Really, are those things hurdles? Yes. But really? Really, is, 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 are we bound to just upbringing? Are we bound to our personality? Well, it's just kind of who you are. That's it. You know what I'm saying? And you can, like, become a little bit different on the outside and fake everyone out, but, like, not really love like God? Not really. Can we really change? Can we really make that kind of progress into the thing that God has for us? I remember asking that question and 
kind of went on an experiment a dozen years ago. It's like, Lord, I want to really be different. I want to really, really change. I really want to walk in humility. In fact, Paul talks about this um, kind of thing all throughout the letter of Philippians. He says, for example, in verse 9, he's praying that their love may abound still more and more. Here is this loving, healthy church. You know, he's not dealing with any kind of outward sin in the book of Philippians. He's not dealing with some sort of like crazy lie that they're believing. Remember in Galatians, like they were basically uh, uh, turning back to the law and, and, uh, and in Galatians, they were basically walking in the flesh. They were kind of believing uh, the lie that they could be made right with God by their own human efforts. They're, they're not necessarily dealing with that here. Or remember in Corinthians, like this, like this dude like slept with his father's wife, right? like his stepmom. Like he's in the church and that's like what they're dealing with in the church of Corinthians. It's like because Corinth, the city, was pretty like immoral. And uh, th- he's not dealing with that here in Philippians, in the Philippi church. What he's saying is, you guys are doing good, but I'm praying that you'd love even more. That you'd love like Jesus loves. That you would be patient. Not, yeah, I'm going to be patient, you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> but like really Patient. Really love like God loves. Like, what does that look like? And, and he goes on and he talks about humility. He says, man, I want you guys to have the mind of Christ, he says in Philippians chapter 2. I want you to think like Jesus thinks. He's God, and yet he emptied himself to become man and to die for us. And he's saying, I want you to think like that. And he's, and he's praying and he's encouraging the church to walk in unity. They have some, some division going on. And he's saying, man, you guys can have deeper, more intimate, more healthy relationships. You can go deeper into this. This is what he's encouraging the church. He's, he's talking about their attitude. He's saying, rejoice, grow in this. And, and in Philippians 3, he says, he says, make it your goal, your aim to know Jesus more, to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of you, to really press in. He's saying that there's more for them. There's more intimacy. There's more love to, for our heart to grow more in love. He's saying this to the Philippian church. And, and that's what I embraced. Like a dozen years ago, I remember... Uh, in fact, specifically with that Philippians 2 passage, there was so much pride in my heart. There was so much ambition and vanity in my own heart. It felt to me like this cancer. Could I really be different on the inside? So that really, like the way that I see myself and the way that I see the world, that it's totally different. And I remember pressing into Philippians chapter 2, just meditating on who Jesus is and and just taking hold of that. I mean, there's not really like a lot of books out there on humility. What are you going to do? Like go to a counselor and be like, I'd like to be more humble now. Now, I mean, I did, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not against going to counselors. I don't mean that. But what I mean is like, really, like how are you going to become like Jesus? I mean, there's just no book. There's no person that can, they can help you a little bit. You know, we help each other. But you got to hang out with Jesus, Right? You've got to find out what he's like if his character is going to transform your character. You know, I remember I, I grew up with a lot of uh, um, kind of an angry home a little bit to, to, in many ways, you know. And uh, I just remember like, can I, can I really be different? Not angry person? Can I really be different so that my emotions are different, so that the way I react to people is different? And I remember the Lord speaking to me and giving me scriptures, promises from the word of God, like Isaiah 54, saying, this is who I am, I'm not angry. And if you'll get that, that'll change you. I remember pressing this, and to me it was like, a, it was like an experiment. You know, it's kind of like we talk about 
more of God, more of His glory. We talk about more of His character. And for, but for a lot of us, it's kind of like talking about China. It's like, yeah, yeah, I know where that is on the map, you know? Never been there. It's like North Korea. It's like a mystery. We don't, nobody knows what it's like, you know what I'm saying? It's like we talk about humility, and it's like, yeah, what does that look like? I've heard of that. I know where that's at in the map. But what does that actually look like? What does it look like to actually experience that kind of Christ-like character? That's what it was like for me. It was kind of like, I remember talking to my, my mentor, Dave Metzger, the one who founded this, this church. I remember telling Dave, I said, and because I was super honest with him, you know, I was really open and honest with Dave. He saw the ugly side of me. And I said, to, I said, you know, Dave, I don't really believe, this was like a dozen years ago, I was like, I don't really believe I could be different. I don't even think I could feel different. You know, I was like kind of in a place of despair. And I just said, man, I don't even know. I mean, can, can I really? I was stuck, you know. Can I really get unstuck and move forward and press into the thing that God has for me? And it was funny because uh, a little while after that, he, would, he used to tell me all the time, he'd say this like every six months, he'd say like, he'd say, Dave, like every six months, I'm dealing with like a new Dave Turner. He's like, you got to give me some time to adjust. Because like one minute, like I'm 20, 21 years old, and I'm this like brash, like, uh, you know, rude, uh, unsubmitted person, you know, I mean, I love Dave and everything, but I was totally like, no submission, no, none, you know what I'm saying, just like, just, it was pretty bad, and uh, he liked me anyways, and he believed in me, but like, and then the next minute, not really next minute, like six months later, a year later, I'm like, yes, sir, yes, and calling him pastor, you have to remember Dave Metzger did not like the word pastor, would not let anyone call him pastor. And I was like, yes, sir. Yes, pastor. You know, I was like calling him pastor. And I would tell him, Dave, I have to submit to you. I have to honor you. And he's like, who are you? <laughs> he's like, every six months, you're like a different, and, that, and, that, and that's what would happen in my life is I wouldn't, by the grace of God, he kept, God kept breaking these things in my life, these strongholds, and showing me who I am in Christ, showing me who he is. And he would see I would continue to see these breakthroughs in my life, but so many Christians, they get stuck, don't they? They get stuck in that lie or that past issue, that thing. And so many Christians, they'll say, man, I know know I'm stuck, and I really wish I could go that direction, and I know I need to change, and I know this, and I know that. They still stay stuck, right? They still stay stuck. But the Lord wants to say to you, we're not going to be stuck. That this year I declare over you, unstuck, moving forward, that the Lord's going to break us free. We can get out of that miry clay of, of those emotions like depression and discouragement and just, uh, you know, why am I this way and I'll never change. And that kind of way of thinking and that way of talking, that way of feeling. You're going to break free from those things. Break free from that stuff. You know, we'll talk about the fact that how do you get unstuck? Well, I'll tell you, it's as simple as forgiveness and repentance. Pretty much everything when you want to get a breakthrough in your life, comes down to that simple, not easy, but simple forgiveness and repentance. Receiving forgiveness, forgiving others, forgiving yourself. I guarantee if you feel stuck, there's probably some area, an issue of forgiveness, whether it's receiving it or giving it, whether it's yourself or another person, some issue that's keeping you stuck there. The other side of it is repentance. We'll talk about this, where the other side of his repentance, where repenting of lies that we're believing, guaranteed, you're stuck somewhere. There's probably, there is a lie that you're believing about God, guaranteed, hands down. Like I know, for a fact, if you're stuck somewhere, there is a lie you're believing about God. That is the root issue. 
And then also repenting of choices that we've made, attitudes that we've held on to, wrong perceptions of ourselves or God. This is the process that the Lord wants to take us through. Getting us honest with each other, honest with ourselves, honest with God, and walking through that process. If we're going to move forward, what are we going to have to do? And think about it. If we're, let's just imagine we're like in a, a, uh, on a road trip. And you get your car stuck in the mud. Your tires popped. You're out of gas. And you're lost. Wouldn't that be like the worst road trip ever? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. And let's sing a country song about it. You know, it's like, you know, what are you going to do on a road trip like that? What, what needs to happen? Well, it's obvious, right? You need to get out of that mud, right? You're, you're going to need some sort of help from the outside to get out of the mud. You're going to need like a piece of wood underneath the tire to create traction, right? You need something because your wheels are spinning. How many of you, it's like, man, I just keep, I, I'm, keep spinning. I keep doing the same thing over and over again, and I'm not moving. And you're mad at God. No, you need traction, something underneath, right? Something underneath. You need, okay, you get your car out of the mud. Man, I need to fix my tire. You're going to need some tools. You're going to need some air. You're going to take that tire off, fix the tire, put some air back in the tire. You need some fuel in your car, don't you? You need some sort of you know, fuel to create that combustion, move you forward. But then it's like, all right, good, the car works. I don't know where to go. You know, if you're lost, what do you need? You need a destination, you need a map. You need this, right? This is what we're going to talk about, the fact that if we're going to move forward, we've got to get some traction in our life, some movement, some motivation. We're going to have to fix some things that are broken. We're going to fill that tank up, and we're going to need a map. We need a plan, We need a a destination, a vision. Many people, they have no vision. What does it look like? Forward. And how? How are we going to move forward? That's what we need. So we'll talk about that. But what the Lord wants us to to realize is that this is what He's going to do. Look at this in Philippians chapter 1. I love this. This is what Paul says to this church in Philippians 1 verse 6. He says, being confident of this very thing, that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That this is a promise. In fact, in Philippians 2, look at Philippians chapter 2 in verse uh, 12 and 13. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and and to do for his good pleasure. What is the Lord saying? What was Paul saying to this church? He's saying, I am absolutely confident. God is the one working in you. He started this thing. He is the author of your faith, and he will finish it. He will complete you. He will perfect you. He will lead you, and he's the one working in you. It's his righteousness. It's his strength. It's his energy. He's the one who's going to speak to you and work in your life, and you see that your effort and your partnership, your agreement with God, dealing with issues in your life or getting honest, it says in verse 12, working out your own salvation and fear trembling. Do you realize that that is the basis I'm sorry, that verse 13 is the basis for verse 12. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and troubling. For, it is God who works in you to will and do. For, right? That word for means that that you're working out your salvation 
as a response to and as the basis to God's working in you. You're working out your salvation is not like some prerequisite to God liking you. You notice that he's working in you for his good pleasure. That means he already likes you. He's the one who wants to do this in your life. You know when he shows you, hey, see that issue in your life? I want to deal with that issue. Like when God showed me I had pride. Say, hey, you need to deal with this in your life. Why was he showing? Because he already likes me. You know, when we see sin in our lives, we're like, oh no, God's mad at me. What do you mean? He likes you. That's why he's showing you. If he didn't like you, he'd just ignore you, you know? He's the one. It's his working in you, and it's his promise to change you. That is the basis for your response that says, dude, I need to deal with my stuff. It's his promise that awakens hope in you and gives you vision to say, Dude, I don't have to stay here. I don't have to stay stuck in the mud. I don't have to stay lost. We don't have to stay stuck on this mountain, you know? Now we can move forward. We can break through this. And even if there's obstacles, we can utilize those obstacles and leverage those obstacles to actually cause us to move forward like those sailors do. And so this is what the, that's what the Lord is saying to us. He's calling us to move forward, to progress. He's causing, calling us to get out of those things that have kept us stuck and kept us kind of going around in those circles. You know, a lot of times in my life, I felt in, like in my calling, I've dealt with a lot of like, fear issues. And I often felt like, like my growth would be kind of like, like I'd, I'd, I'd get to a certain point, but I emotionally would like hit a ceiling. And I kind of go back down and kind of go back up and go back down and go back up. But I never felt in, in some areas in my life that I was progressing. Does it make sense? Like really breaking free, making movement in the things of the kingdom. Not necessarily like in the area of intimacy with God. Hey, that was good, good stuff. But like in the area of breaking free of discouragement or fear and really growing in confidence and as a byproduct, fruitfulness in ministry. And so I often felt like the Lord, and I, I remember telling the Lord this a number of years ago, man, I feel like you're always like encouraging me and I get to a point and then I get discouraged and you're encouraging me. And it was, I mean, he's a good God, right? And he'd come alongside me and he, oh yeah, David, I love you and I believe in you. And you know, you got, God's got to like build you up and build up your faith, you know? And then I get to that point and it's like, yay! And then back down again. And, but I wasn't, allowing the Lord to really cause me to really break free until a couple of years ago when I really began to get traction, when I really began to stay at this point of believing God. Like, yeah, that's what you say and that's what you mean and I'm going to believe it. And what happened was the word and, and my faith in the word began to change my emotions, right? So I began to feel that confidence. And instead of like going for that thing and then, and then fearing and shrinking back or, or, or being in a place where I can't really take risks or I can't really press forward, and I always kind of felt like kind of going around the same mountain in ministry, man, I don't feel that way anymore, and that's not what's happening anymore, because the Lord is building up my faith, and I'm allowing the Lord from the Word of God to strengthen me and cause me to gain in those areas, you know, and in, even in those areas, like I was mentioning with like anger or humility earlier, that as I pressed into the Word of God and allowed His Word to change me, that it's changed the, those emotions, and it's changed that character on the inside of me. <clears throat> Look, uh, let's just, I just want to finish up with this. Go to 1 Timothy. I want to show you something here, and we won't go into it too deep, but I just want to end with this. I want us to end with this and respond to this. But in 1 Timothy, Paul is writing, obviously, to a man named Timothy, a, a leader of leaders, a pastor, and he is personally giving him some instructions about his own growth, and he uses the exact same word, 
in Philippians as he does here in 1 Timothy chapter 4. When I saw this, it just, it just blew me away. The Lord was ministering to me. And literally, Paul is telling Timothy how to progress and to grow in his ministry, but obviously as a byproduct, how he's going to impact other people and how they're going to grow. He's giving instructions very clear. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 through 16, listen to this. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit, in faith and purity. Right? That's the goal, to be an example, to be Christ-like in word, in what we say, in our conduct, our behavior, in, uh, in loving, how we love people. That's obviously... That's the big one. In spirit, that's referring to fervency, being on fire for the Lord, being in prayer and fervent for the Lord. In, in, In faith, right? Being an example of a person who believes God even in the hard times and believes his promises. In impurity, not just sexual purity, but purity of motives, purity in the area of money, all that kind of stuff. So that's the goal. Verse 13, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, and in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. He says to Timothy, give yourself to these things. What are these things? He says, meditate on these things. What are these things? See, you notice that in verse 15? He says, if you'll do this, if you'll meditate on these things, if you'll give yourself entirely to these things, you will progress. And everyone will see that you are progressing, that you are moving forward. Did you see that in verse 13 or verse 15? He is saying that this is how you move forward. And so he is, he's, uh, he, what does he mean by moving forward? Obviously, moving forward into that Christ-like example, into that character. Moving forward also into the gifts and the calling of God on Timothy's life. So many people, they have that spirit of fear, and it's keeping them from even, even knowing their calling, let alone fulfill their calling. How many are stuck in their calling? And Paul is talking to Timothy how he can break through and actually see these things completed in their life. And so he says here in, um, he says, What are these things in verse 15? These things, it's in verse 13 and 14. He says, Timothy, give attention to reading. What does he mean reading? Reading the word of God. To exhortation, right? Exhorting the church, applying the Bible to our lives, and to doctrine. By doctrine, he's referring to truth, or a better word would be reality. The reality of who God is, who you are. The reality that Jesus died and rose again. He's going to come back and reign on this earth. Giving yourself to the realities of, uh, and the truths that are revealed in the scriptures. Giving yourself to reading the word of God and applying it to your life and to other people's lives. He says, give yourself to that. He also says, don't neglect or give yourself to the prophecies over your life. When he says the gift of God that is in you through prophecy, he doesn't necessarily mean the gift like as in an ability that you have. You know, we think oftentimes it's a gift like, I have the gift of prophecy. I have the gift of healing. He's not necessarily referring to that, although I'm I'm sure that would kind of include that. He's talking about a prophetic destiny or calling on a person's life. He's talking about the fact that when God speaks to you from the word of God, when you read it, the Lord speaks to you when I'm preaching or someone else is preaching, the Lord, or a friend, brothers and sisters in the Lord lay their hands on you and they prophesy destiny over your life, that that is like, those are like big shoes, and you have to grow into them, okay? That is the gift that he's talking about. He's saying don't neglect the ministry and the calling and the destiny on your life. He's not necessarily saying that Timothy is even walking in it yet. 
He's probably walking it to some degree, but he's not fully fulfilling it yet. He's saying it's been given to you by prophetic utterance, right? Somebody prophesied that you have a gift over your life. Do you know that's how you find out what spiritual gifts you have? You don't take a spiritual gifts inventory and you don't like do it because like, well, I had the gift of healing because I laid my hands on somebody and they got healed. Well, that's good and all, but that's not how you find out you have a gift of, of anything. You know how you find out you have a gift of something? Prophecy. Because prophecy declares who you are when you're not there yet. And what you have and what you're called to when you haven't even fulfilled it yet, right? Amen? I remember when I was like, I don't know, 19, 20, somebody said to me that the, uh, the Lord is going to, uh, you're going to lay your hands on people and they're going to get healed. My eyes was so full of self-pity back in those days. Like, oh, I don't know, I pray for people that don't get healed. I didn't understand divine healing or anything. You know, man, I understood take Advil and then you feel better. I understood, you know, you go to the surgeon and they make you deal with stuff. And that's not bad and all, but I didn't understand how the supernatural power of God could actually come and heal someone. And someone told me, that's what you're going to do. I remember actually when I was 17 or 18, I just turned 18, someone goes, you're going to be a prophetic teacher. I was like, what? That doesn't make any sense, you know? It didn't back then. That's who I am now, you know? That's what I do. I lay my hands on people and they get better. But that took like 14 years, you know what I'm saying? That's called not neglecting the gift that was in me by prophetic utterance. You know, the Lord has been speaking to me from the Acts 19 and Isaiah 61 since I was like a new Christian. And, I'm, and those scriptures speak to me about my calling and what we're doing here in this church, and yet I haven't fully seen it come to pass. He's saying don't neglect that gift that is in you, that calling. It would be like Dave Turner, don't forget Acts 19. I have called you to that. You hold on to that, right? And what, what does Paul say to Timothy? Verse 13, the word of God. And verse 14, that prophetic word from God, from his spirit to you that came through the word of God. He says you meditate on these things. And notice that he says you give yourself entirely to them. Literally, in the Greek, it's be in them. Like, give yourself, be in them, fully consumed by the word of God and by the prophetic declaration over your life. Don't forget it. Don't neglect it. Remember it. Think about it. What does it look like? I want to leave you with this. What does it look like to be devoted to something? What does it look like? In Acts 2, it says they were devoted to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, to prayer. What does it look like to be fully devoted followers of Christ? What does it look like to be wholly given, to be in something, to be consumed by something, to think about it all the time? What does it look like, right? If, if you go to work every day, are you not a committed employee? If you, if you are, have season tickets to the Lakers, are you not a devoted fan, right? Like, like Dave Turner, like I like football, but you know, I can't talk about it like I like it because I never watch football, you know what I'm saying? I don't, have, I don't have time. It's like, hey, do you like football? Yeah, but I don't really watch it very much. You know, I like it. I watch like game and a half this season, you know? It's fun. I try to read, you know, a little bit on the news or something like that. I'm not a devoted fan, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you kids, I like, I like football, but there's not, no, there's no devotion there. You show up to work every other day. Is that devotion? That's called, that's called fired, you know what I'm saying? Like, what does it look like to be in something? 
What does it look like to be engrossed in a hobby? What does it look like to be engrossed in your TV series? What does it look like to be engrossed in a book? Okay, so what does it look like to be entirely given to, wholly given to, engrossed in, devoted to the Word? You know what it's talking about? You know what devotion means? And why we say things like at our church, we are, full, we are a community of fully devoted followers of Christ. Because what we're talking about is living a lifestyle in community with one another. Devotion is referring to lifestyle, isn't it? To a lifestyle of consistently being in something. It's not just, well, I read a chapter in my Bible and then I moved on with my day, but that I'm in the Word. I'm thinking about it. I'm meditating in the Word. And I want to just, this is just kind of like where we're beginning today with this 2012, I'm telling you, the Lord has been speaking to me powerfully for this next year. There's been specific things the Lord wants us to move forward on and progress in because he's a good leader. He wants us to focus in some certain areas. And, and I'm so excited because the Lord has done so much in us and there's so much that the Lord wants us to grow in. So we'll be talking about this and we'll talk about how is it that we can have a very good plan to move forward. And we'll give, I'm going I'm to give you some real specifics from my own life, how I move forward, if you will, but, uh, and from the Word of God, the principles that I've learned from the Word and that I've lived out. But, but just today, I just want to just kind of, if you will, start at this place, end today, but start the year with, what would it look like to be wholly given to the Word and to that prophetic destiny over your life? That it was, it's not a side issue, right? Like so many of our lives... The word is like Pluto. We're not even sure if it's a planet. We didn't even know it was there for a long time in your life. You know, it's like the word is kind of out there. I hear it every once in a while. I read it every once in a while. The word needs to be the sun. You know, right? We need to have our life be revolving around the word of God and the presence of God. The cry of my heart to the Lord, I'll tell the Lord often this. I'll say, I want to be a man of your presence. I want to live by your voice. It's not just... Boom, 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 I read some of the Bible. Or, oh, I studied the Bible and I did some word study and I read commentaries for a message or something like that. It's not just like, well, you know, I did that or I did that. No, I want to have the word of the Lord, right? You know, there's a difference between eating food and eating good food, right? Like there's a difference between stuffing our faces with like chocolate and, and licorice, all the good stuff that I ate for Christmas. And there's a difference between that and eating like steak and vegetables I mean, I had like a lot of steak, vegetables, and fish this Christmas. Oh, we ate good. And uh, there's a difference, isn't there? That's what I'm saying to you. There is a difference between reading the Bible or going to church once a week and being consumed with the Word of God and letting the Word of God revol- have our lives revolve around the Word of God. There is a difference between the Word of God being Pluto and being the sun, right? There is a difference between I read a chapter in my Bible, check, and I meditated on it. I remember Bill Johnson, a mentor of mine, and, and, and many of you have heard him before. He says, oftentimes, he reads the word until he has a word from the Lord. See, that is nourishment. Amen? That's eating. That's feeding. When you say, it's not going through the motions, that's my goal. It's not, check, I read my Bible, or I went to church, or whatever. It's, I want to hear the Lord. I want to be impacted by God, and I want my life to be revolved around that. And oftentimes I have that, 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 that thing that I'm meditating on. 
And I have a regimen. We'll talk about this. I have a regimen in my life. Not discipline for discipline's sake, but a train track to get my train moving. You know, it's fuel in the gas tank. Gasoline does no good if it's in a bucket next to your car, right? I'm trying to start my engine. I don't know why I'm still the same I was 10 years ago. I don't know why I'm still struggling with this issue. Dude, the gas is not in your car, right? Put the gas in your car, use the gas. And that's what I have, this regimen, this discipline in my life that's fuel to the fire to get my engine going that moves me along, listening to messages regularly throughout the week, reading the Word of God, not just because I'm a pastor, because I just want to be in the Word. I have oftentimes very focused things I meditate on. Like lately, I've just been meditating for months now on the reign of Christ, on His rulership, that He is going to be king over the earth. And just allowing the reality of that to impact my heart and to change me, because it's reality, it's truth. And character issues that the Lord is dealing with me on that I just press into. Different things that the Lord's teaching me or doing in me, right? Maybe scriptures I'm meditating on, scriptures I'm memorizing. These are five ways that we can get the word into our heart and get it out of our mouth, right? Because Paul doesn't say just, you know, right? he says, verse 15, meditate on these things. Give yourself to them wholly, fully, amen? Can we, can we do that? Can we just make a commitment to the Lord this morning? that we're going to be giving ourselves fully to the Lord. And whether it's a habit that's not in your life, I encourage you to get it in your life. For example, like we have this Bible reading plan. You pick it up in the back. And uh, basically, we, we read a cha- at least a chapter a day. We're starting in Luke chapter 1 today. You could literally just read through the New Testament with us in a year, start in Luke chapter 1. There's a plan for you right there. We'll talk more about it, but there, right there. January 1st, Luke 1. You can read a chapter a day, come back... Uh, Next Sunday on the 8th, and you have had seven chapters. So many people have a desire to read the Word of God, but they don't actually do it, right? This is actually putting the fuel in your tank and letting it move you forward. Or you could also do the New and the Old Testament. Many of us do the New and the Old Testament, and it's basically about you know, three or four chapters. But again, it's not just reading through it. It's thinking about it. It's journaling about it. It's meditating on it. It's praying it and declaring it out loud, out of our mouth thinking about what the Lord is, is teaching us. So I encourage you to do this, whether this is a habit you already do and you just need to refocus and say, Lord, this is fuel to the fire. This is what's going to move me forward. Or whether this is a new habit that it's like, this is time to integrate this into my life. It's not something I want to do just for a week or a month. It's something I want to do as a daily rhythm of my life. And this is not the only thing that gets us unstuck and moving forward. But according to Paul, according to the whole Bible, the Bible according to Jesus, according to, it's all over the scriptures, you give yourself to the word of God and it's the word that has the power to change you. Think about it. The word is the fuel. The word gives you the tools. The word tells you where the destination is and the word is the map to get there. The word contains all the elements that we need to move forward. We need to talk about what those elements are and apply those elements to our life. It's not, again, it's not just read the Bible and just move on. And We need to apply it to our lives, but the Word has all the elements, the power of God and the wisdom of God to transform us to be more like Jesus. Amen? Let's make a commitment to the Lord in that way.